Welcome to Autistic Adventures, episode two. I'm Cass, and I wanted to go over a little bit about my diagnosis process. Uh, I don't know how long this will be, but I'm just going to kind of start talking about it and see where it goes. So, in the intro, I had said that I wouldn't have even considered the possibility of myself being autistic or having some of these other diagnoses unless it was for my kids. Um, I have an 11 year old, so I have been in the um, autistic community for some time now, Um, you know, because of my children trying to have a better understanding of them, figuring out how to be the best parent I can be, even learning about what autism was. When my uh, oldest son was diagnosed, he was four and he hadn't really started talking yet. And everyone we had talked to said, oh, don't worry, you know, boys are late, they're delayed, it's not a big deal, you know, he'll wake up talking one day. And, you know, when you're a first-time parent, first of all, your your child or my child is perfect. You know, there was nothing wrong with him. He was wonderful, sweet, kind, happy child that didn't really have any accompanying behavior type issues so to us we're like he's happy he's healthy he's perfect Um, but when he wasn't talking you know by the age of four that's when I started to really seriously consider that okay there's something something else is going on here Um, and because I kept getting reassurance from other people um, from society like oh boys you know he's just doesn't want to talk or you know just making up excuses for him and me now knowing that I'm on the spectrum myself I just took that as truth I'm like oh well I'm worrying about nothing which I had a tendency to do anyway so it was easy to to believe that I'm like okay I guess I'm just blowing this out of proportion but about the time he turned four and a half I'm like all right there's there's definitely something going on here and you know through his diagnosis and and getting information about that I kind of delved into what even is autism I mean prior to my son getting a diagnosis I had had very little exposure to uh, what autism was Um, I had maybe seen a couple of movies, which we know in the media, it's usually portrayed one typical type of way. It's usually uh, adult male that is limited verbal or a savant. And, you know, anyway, I can get into that a whole nother time. <laughs> but um, so I didn't really have a lot of exposure. Uh, I did know one child growing up that I knew was autistic he fascinated me because he knew every single basketball statistic there was out there. He knew all the teams, he knew all the scores, he knew how many, you know, three-pointer shots this one player had had, which I'm not really into sports at all, so that in itself wasn't interesting to me, but the fact that he retained all this information was like, wow, this is so awesome. But beside that, that was really the only exposure I had had, so me having to learn what even is autism outside of what the social media tells you, um, you know, what, what the media, you know, movies and TV shows show you, 
and having to gain an understanding of that. And even that is problematic because a lot of the information you receive is based on a (laughs) cisgender white male. And a lot of times they're, you can call them symptoms or their behaviors or just how they act is very specific to them. And Willie has no not a lot of bearing when it comes to females or even adults with autism. It can present very differently. So, um, you know, I've been on this journey. I had been on this journey for a while. And then when my younger son came along, I was able to pick up on it by the time he was 14 months old. I was like, ah, there it is. Like, I see it, you know, in some of the Uh, repetitious behavior, some of the noises he was making. Uh, A lot of it was some of the things that my older son had done. So I was able to catch that really quick. And we had him diagnosed by 15 months. Of course, when you have an early diagnosed child like that, you have to re-up at three years old and such and such. They want to make sure it wasn't just a developmental delay. It was... um, you know, that it was autism and all that, which he is, he's still autistic and will be continue to be autistic for the remainder of his life. And, uh, so it was just very interesting to, you know, since I had been learning about it and researching it and trying to understand it and have a better grasp on it, I was able to catch my sons, my younger sons so much sooner. So, you know, in dealing with that and kind of being in their world for so many years, I had started to see similarities between my childhood and theirs and or some of the things that they did versus what I did. And I thought, well, of course, they're my children. They're going to do things like me and they have my genetics um, and kind of just put it out of my mind for a while. But it got to a point where I was like, this is... um it seems uncanny. It seems like it's more than a coincidence or more than just those are my kids. So they're going to act somewhat similar to me. And that was when I started thinking more deeply about, well, what if I'm autistic? You know, what if this is something that I have going on? And, um, it's just, it's very interesting when you're a female, people immediately want to say, oh no, no, that's not it. And I was kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place where it was, I'm too weird to be considered normal, but I presented or masked enough normal to not be considered, you know, completely outside of the box or um, having neurodivergence in some way. So it was uh, interesting for me. And so when I decided to initially pursue the actual diagnosis, I decided at first to go the cheap slash free route because if you know anything about trying to obtain a diagnosis as an adult, it is very, very difficult and very, very expensive uh, in most cases. So I went through our local regional center, which my kids were already clients of, and I said, I, look, I don't want, ser- I don't need services. Um, I don't need necessarily to be a client. I want to be a client, though, in order to obtain a diagnosis. And in order to be a client of a regional center, you must uh, have a diagnosis. So I set up an appointment. It took, you know, months to get all this together. 
And in the meantime, I was researching, writing down. I have notes upon notes in my phone. I had written down pages and pages. I had printed out things. I have done, you know, had done the online testing of every single autistic test I could find that said, yep, you got it. But I know that's not, you know, a definitive thing. And throughout my self-diagnosis period of I'm going to gather up as much information as I can um, to help my assessors understand who I am and where I'm at and separate that from the mask casts of trying to fit in, trying to blend in, trying to be normal. I'm like, okay, I need to separate that from, you know, who, who am I actually versus who have I been portraying to be all these years? And that, that's an interesting process and I'll have to go more into detail on that at another time. But, you know, I had gathered up all this information. I had a huge Mickey Mouse folder full of paperwork saying, look, I believe I'm autistic. I would not be going through months and months of research and trying to make these appointments and doing all this stuff if I didn't sincerely believe that that was the case. You know, my time is precious to me and I did not want to uh, waste my time essentially. Um, That was a very short and sweet meeting and, you know, to not go too far into detail, basically at the end of the meeting, they said that I could not be autistic because I could maintain very good conversation and I was able to maintain good eye contact, which is kind of funny to me because as a child growing up, I was labeled most talkative and was not able to have self-restraint when it came to what I was saying, how I was saying it, you know, uh, how much I was talking. I was very much an extroverted, wild, probably annoying child. And so I thought that was funny. Um, And a lot of my communicative skills came from being absorbed in books because I didn't have tons of friends. I didn't have a lot of, you know, communication with other people. So I learned everything about communicating through books and being alone in my room. And then the second thing of being able to maintain eye contact, I've been told all my life that I stare into people's souls and I stare for too long and it makes people uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to give people eye contact. And I only just recently, within the last couple months, figured out that you're not supposed to just stare at someone the entire time you're talking to them. You're supposed to like look at them for three seconds and then look away for three seconds and back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm either looking at you or I'm not looking at you. I'm not going to be counting to three and looking away all the while trying to listen to what the person's saying, respond to what the person's saying, and then making sure that I'm giving them the appropriate amount of eye contact. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to keep going with what I've been you know, been doing all my life, which is I was taught you're supposed to maintain my eye contact. So I will look and stare at you the whole time we're speaking. And to me, that's just kind of how I operate. And, you know, that that is what it is. So I'm like, but so the fact that I can maintain eye contact, even if it's not appropriate eye contact, because I can look at you, that means I can't be autistic. You know, I'm like, you do realize that all of these are learned behaviors. These are things that we are 
we have to and are forced to learn either in the school system or in the community or, you know, in our family groups. These are things that you have to learn. Do I like staring at people while I'm talking to them? Not particularly. If I could look away and look at something else while I was having a conversation with them without them feeling like I was being rude or not listening, I would prefer that. But most people would rather have you look at them than not. So, you know, at the end of that, they basically told me that I could not be. And because I'm able to communicate, (laughs) I told them point blank, you're wrong, and I will be seeking, um, you know, another opinion. I will be going through a more reputable company, someone that is used to diagnosing adult females, not young boy children on the spectrum, and told them that they were wrong. I appreciate the effort that they went through, but um, they basically didn't listen to any of the things that I had to say or look at most of my paperwork and had me do pretty infantile things diagnosing me as they would like having me do things that they would have you know a four-year-old child do which I know this because I was there at both of my children's diagnosis and so I was pretty disappointed in that Um, it took me about another year and a half to make an appointment and do the waiting process and go through all of the um, scheduled appointments to get, you know, obtain my diagnosis. And, um, I can go into that another time, which thankfully at the end of all that, you know, after the end of probably two years of seeking a diagnosis, I received my diagnosis of being autistic level one, if you're interested Um, it's funny because I don't really agree with the low to high functioning kind of mentality because I present to the world as high functioning, but there are some days that I have such a difficult time that I can barely self care. Um, I can barely do what I need to do in the world to make sure that I'm caring for myself, caring for my children, um, just doing the daily tasks of life. So, um, you know, what may appear as high functioning to one person, to the person that you're labeling, it may not be that at all. Uh, Also diagnosed with ADHD, which was, I didn't think that I necessarily was, but I knew there was a possibility. The only reason why... I kind of question it is because I don't have the accompanying executive dysfunction. I actually do really well with my ambition and motivation to, you know, do certain things. I, you know, kind of keep a tidy home. There are certain things that I do that I'm like, that's not what ADHD people do, ADHD people do. But that's because the ADHD people I was exposed to in my life and some of my family members had that executive dysfunction, um, portion in their life where they couldn't couldn't do certain school or you know they had messes everywhere they had time blindness and I'm like I am on time every time so I can't be ADHD so that was you know I thought there was a 50 50 chance of that 
My OCD diagnosis, I did not expect at all. I did not actually understand fully what OCD was because, again, I had never been exposed to what actual OCD is. Uh, The only thing that I knew about OCD was things that I have seen in movies and TV shows about, well, you got to wash your hands all the time and you're a germaphobe and very much like the the aviator kind of... um, vibe or you know monk or some of these it's always males of course having like these compulsions of you know washing their hands or you know being worried about germs and so for me I was like well that's not me at all and not realizing that for females specifically because we're raised in this male-dominated society and there's so much more pressure and expectation of us of what we can and can't do or what we can and can't be a lot of the obsessions the the o and the ocd is mental obsessions and compulsions can actually appear as you know mental behaviors or avoidance or checking on things even a mental checking and I didn't realize that all of that was OCD I thought that that was part of my autism well I worry about things all the time and then I have to give myself reassurance about it or seek out reassurance and I didn't realize that that was part of my OCD diagnosis so that's been a total trip actually figuring out what that is how it presents in my life and actually how much uh, it does affect me. I didn't realize it until I started researching it, and now I'm actually pursuing therapy with an OCD therapist that does a very specific type of therapy because talk therapy has never worked for me. And in fact, talk therapy doesn't work very well for people with OCD, and in a lot of cases, um, autism as well. And what they do is something called ERP therapy, which is something that I can go into um, in another episode. But basically, it's exposure and response uh, therapy. And it's been going really well. But that was kind of a curveball I was not expecting when I received my diagnosis. And my last diagnosis was PTSD, which I was fully, you know, before any of my other diagnoses or any of the other... Um, life things I'd gone through, I knew I had um, CPTSD because of my childhood. Um, Things were very difficult. I've been through a lot of trauma and I knew that was part of, you know, my my story. And so um, that's just a little bit about kind of my diagnosis. I would like to go more into kind of how some of those things came to be and, um, you know, the, the journey to receiving those diagnoses and what that meant for me and, um, all of that. But I kind of just wanted to do a little episode, uh, hopefully somewhat short-winded about my diagnosis and kind of a little bit more of my background and story as I start going through more, uh, involved episodes of things that I want to talk about. Um, If you made it this far, I appreciate you listening. Um, I'm so happy to have an audience and be able to have people where I can share my stories and um, things about my life. So thank you. I appreciate you. And I look forward to the next episode and I'll see you then.